Well, we are back in the, the book of James this morning, uh, where we're going to be for these uh, next couple of weeks. And, and where James, as I've mentioned before, where James, in the words of one biblical scholar, is aiming for this, where he is seeking to show us the difference between mere profession of faith and real possession of it. The difference between just professing faith and truly possessing it, truly having a real living faith. Now, of course, if you've been with us the the past couple of weeks, you know that we have been in in Matthew uh, chapter 7, talking about humility before others, uh, seeing logs in our eyes and specks in others' eyes. And we're going to pick back up with that horizontal direction uh, next week and the following two. But today, James has us considering uh, the vertical, okay, humility before God, which, which of course is the foundation for humility before others. Now this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Uh, it says verses 7 through 10, but we're actually going to be in verses 6 through 10. So James 4 verses 6 through 10. Now, the last time we were in James at the, 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 the end of, of last month, uh, we looked at verses 1 through 6, and as, as we looked at that, we saw that James was calling us, is calling us, to turn to God, uh, return to Him, calling and, and called us out as adulterous people, verse 4, uh, call, calling us out as being double-minded, in other words, having a divided loyalty between, between God and the world. And in our passage today, verses 6 through 10, James continues calling us to return to the Lord, uh, to become more fully devoted to Him. And today, he unpacks what that looks like. He reminds us that that we don't, and in fact, that we can't simply jump on the salvation train and then just run right back into a life of sinful disobedience. James highlights the good news that the grace that forgives is also the very same grace that changes and transforms us. God's grace moves us to repentance, to true repentance, so that we can then live true life through a transformed way of living and relating We'll begin our our passage uh, this morning, James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And before we hear that part of God's Word, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Well, gracious God, we do thank You once again for Your Word and for the good news of Your saving grace that is also transforming grace. We would ask now that You would please open our hearts to receive Your Word that we might hear, understand, believe, and be changed. Amen. So hear now the Word of God, James chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. This is God's Word. So you you hear the, the familiar theme there. Yes, the theme of humility. Interestingly enough, the last time we were in James, we looked at humility. Then Pastor Mike comes on board the last uh, couple of weeks, preaches on humility, and we pick back up right where we left off and we're on in, in humility. So I think it's pretty clear God wants, to, wants us to hear something about humility. And not just hear it, but to grow as humble people, uh, humbly before others, humbly before God. And and two things that I want you to notice right away about our passage, okay, and this this is just big picture, uh, but I want you to to think of it as an Oreo, okay? So the the first thing to notice is that humility bookends this passage, okay? That's the outer chocolate cookie on either side, and and it's verses 6 and 10. They're both both, uh, a call to humility, and, and they then make a sandwich with the rest of the passage, and so do you remember some of the things that, that Mike has emphasized so far? Uh, one, of, one of the great questions that he asked is, is this, do, do you want to experience what it is to be more fully human? And then followed that up by, by pointing out that, that we weren't built for pride, but rather for humility. Of course, pride is it, pride turns in on itself and eventually dies alone. Whereas, as humility opens up, opens up to God, opens up to others, finds life and belonging. Okay, so the first thing to notice is that humility bookends our passage, and the second thing to notice about this passage is that it is chock full of commands. I mean, sometimes you you read a passage of Scripture and you say, is it it telling me anything directly here? I just can't tell. Well, today you can tell, okay? That's the the cream filling of the Oreo. There are are 10 imperatives in just four verses. Okay, take a look. And if you've got an open Bible and you like to circle or underline, I'll I'll highlight them for you. Uh, Verse 7, submit, resist. Verse 8, draw near, cleanse. Purify. Verse 9, be wretched, mourn, weep, be turned. And then it all uh, culminates, verse 10, humble. Humble yourselves. So the big picture, verses 6 and 10, that that outer uh, chocolate cookie part, and then uh, verses 7 to 9, the the cream filling inside. And so what's inside is is a look at the life of humility, what, what that life looks like being sandwiched in between the call to humility. And so we're, we're going to start by, by looking uh, at what's inside. Okay, verses 7 through 9. In the undoing of our pride and worldliness begins when we submit to God. James says, verse 7, 
Submit yourselves to God. Submit. Now, of course, the English word submit, when we think about it, it can often sound very passive. Okay, but the the Greek concept is actually very active. In fact, in Greek, it's a compound word uh, with two parts, meaning to arrange under. Arrange under. And so James, of course, is, is then saying that we are to actively arrange our lives under God's direction, His lordship, His leadership, His word, and submit. I mean, if you think about it, we all submit to something all the time. Now, a couple of examples. You might think of a musician actively submitting to a course of study and practice, okay, actively coming under an instructor, a teacher, or an athlete actively submitting to their coach, a training schedule, a disciplined diet. And why? Well, well, the musician, athlete, they, they submit because they want to become the best that they can be, ultimately living out those gifts to the fullest. And so similarly for us, to, to live out our lives to the fullest is to then order our lives under God. That's how we were created to live. It's how life works best. And so kneeling before the king and actively following Him in all things. Well, next, James says, resist. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist. And biblical scholar uh, Alec Motier states, well, if the English translation submit is too passive, then the English translation resist is too active. Okay, and, and here's what he's getting at. What he does is he points out that the, that the Greek word for resist is not a word for actively carrying out an attack. Okay, but rather what it is about, it, it is about manning the defenses. And, and the best defense, the best way to resist is to submit. Verse 7, and draw near. Verse 8. Okay, it's like if you're in the sixth grade and the big, bad, middle school bully has got it out for you. Okay, he's after you. Huge kid. He's been held back several times. He shaves every day. He eats sixth graders for lunch, and he's got his eye on you. Well, it just so happens that your big brother is in the eighth grade as well. He loves you. He's got your back. And his name is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Okay, so what what is the best defense? The best way to resist is to stay close to the rock. Okay, cheesy illustration, I know. But it makes the point, okay? And, and, And the point is this. It's not that we personally face off with the devil, but rather that we stay close to the one who has defeated him and who protects us. And so James invites us into that. He invites us to draw near. James says, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near. 
And so let's be clear from the start, this is not merely about protection. It includes that, of course, but it is primarily about relationship. It is about friendship with God, intimacy with Him. In fact, friends, this is the relationship that you and I were made for. Okay, think, think about a marriage. Husband and wife, they're celebrating their, their anniversary. Uh, the, the husband gets home. He, he's, he's got a, a beautiful bouquet of flowers, gives it uh, to his wife, and, and she looks at him. She says, oh, these are, these are lovely. I, I, I love them. Thank you. And he pulls out his phone. He looks at it, and he goes, well, yeah, I just, I just got a reminder on my phone that says you like flowers. You know, it, it, it kind of loses it, doesn't it? I mean, it, it misses the point. And why? Because it misses the relationship. I mean, duty is important, but desire, desire is what God is after. Desire is what that, that, that wife wants. She wants you, your heart, your affections, your friendship. Well, in a much more profound way, that, of course, is what God wants from us. He wants you. He wants your heart, your affections, your friendship. You know, think about what, what Jesus says, John uh, 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends and I have called you friends. Or think about that wonderful picture of God's love for us that's expressed in the, in the father running after the prodigal son. You know the story, Luke 15, two lost sons, and of course I'm referring to the, the younger of those two, and he's, he's wandered off to a far away country. And what, and what does it say? It says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You see, God always initiates first. As it says elsewhere, we love because he first loved us. And the promise here in verse 8 is that God continues to draw near to us as we draw near to Him. Well, the way to draw near is honesty. And so James calls us to honesty. He calls us to repentance, to true repentance. And so next, James says, and this is the second part of verse 8, he says, "'Cleanse your hands, you sinners.'" And purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's an invitation to honesty. Okay, James is calling us to recognize and to admit that we don't will one thing, but rather that we have divided hearts, a divided loyalty between God and the world. And he invites us to come clean, okay, to be honest. He uses the words cleanse and purify, and these are, these are Old Testament terms uh, for, for ritual and uh, ethical purity. 
And so what he is getting at is that repentance involves both hands and heart, okay? That it it involves both our, our actions and our attitudes. And so it isn't merely getting our act together, so to speak, but, but is actually about being changed from the inside out. The only way to purify our outward behavior is to purify our inward being, our, our heart, the very core of who we are. And the only way to purify a divided heart is to draw near. Again, the way to intimacy is honesty. Honesty is how we draw near. And so James continues, verse 9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow, that's a pretty dark turn. I mean, if you thought you were going to come in and be encouraged today, you read that and you're like, what in the world? This sounds so depressing. What what in the world is James doing? Well, have you ever had food poisoning? Any of you ever had food poisoning? Yeah, not, not, not pleasant, is it? And, and what does your body do? It tries to get rid of it. You wretch, you mourn, you weep. And that's how our body should respond to sin. Sin is the poison that kills, and we've got to get it out in order to get healthy. You know, just as illness keeps us distanced from others, so sin keeps us distanced from God. But sadly, we can too easily take food poisoning more seriously than we take our sin. And that's what James is getting at in this last part of verse 9. He uses the word laughter. Okay, and and what he is doing is, is, is laughter here, it is expressing how casually we can sometimes treat our sin. Pastor Sam Albury says it well. There is a place for seriousness and grief about sin. In fact, the more we know of Jesus, the more horrific we realize our sin to be. It is not some trivial thing that God can simply sweep under the carpet. It costs no less than the blood of Jesus bearing the wrath of God for us. The cross that stands at the heart of our faith is testament to the severity of sin. The more we understand this, the deeper should be our sense of grief over our sin. Sin should be something we mourn and weep over. Sin is a serious, horrific deal. Well, the cross that stands at the heart of our faith is also testament to the depth of God's love, isn't it? And it's only when we recognize and repent of our ongoing sin that we we are truly able to discover the depth of that love and, and what it means for God to draw near to us. Okay, so that's a whole lot of verbs. Whole lot of verbs right there. A lot of imperatives that we have just looked at. 
And again, all of these imperatives in verses 7 through 9, they all describe this final, the tenth imperative of our passage. In verse 10, James exhorts, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before God and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves. And so again, everything that we have talked about so far, the cream filling of this Oreo, it describes what it means to humble ourselves before God. And of course, notice that there's a promise for those who do. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. He he will lift you up. And so do you you see how how those, those outer cookie parts hold everything else together? So you've got these two bookends, verses 6 and 10. God gives grace to the humble, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord. God gives grace to the humble, therefore humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. And so put simply, we must humble ourselves to know God's nearness and to be lifted up. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because it's our pride, it gets back to that thing that always gets in the way. And what is pride? Pride is being consumed with self, fighting to matter, fighting to prove oneself. Uh, we, we often think of pride in terms of, uh, of this high level of self-confidence. But in fact, pride, it's, it's an insecure attempt. It's self-justification. Continuing to try to prove oneself rather than resting in the justification that is ours in Christ. That's security, friends. The justification that is ours in Christ. But pride gets in the way. Okay, th- think about it this way. You're a balloon, okay? Or or at least you have a balloon, a red balloon. Let's just call it a red balloon. And so, and you've done this before. You've you've gotten a package of balloons. Maybe you've blown them up for for a birthday party, something like that. But in and of yourself, what can you do? In and of yourself, you can stretch that thing out and you can blow it up with your own breath. But that's it. It's full of yourself. You let it go, what happens? It just drops, it goes nowhere. But what if, what, what, if, what if someone is to take that balloon and to then fill it with helium? Okay, it, it, it is able to be lifted up. And friends, that's what grace is for us. Grace is the helium to lift us up. But, but here's the thing. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us. It comes from outside of ourselves. And to, to receive it, to be filled with it, okay, you've got your balloon, it is full of self, so to be able to receive that helium, what has to happen? You've got to release all that dead air first. And that's what we do through repentance. Okay, so so all of these commands, these imperatives in in this passage, uh, truth be told, we cannot do them in and of ourselves. We can't do them perfectly. And so that means we need someone from outside of ourselves to keep those commands for us and then to fill us with the grace of that obedience. Well, the most fully human person to ever walk this earth 
did that for us. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus perfectly submitted to the Father's will in all things at all times. Probably most famous uh, picture of that would be the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours. Jesus perfectly resisted the devil throughout his life. Resisted the devil. Maybe most clearly seen in the 40 days in the wilderness. His fasting. Resisting the devil. And he did so by perfectly drawing near to his Father at all times. So many times in the Gospels we see Jesus go away drawing near in a quiet place. And then as Jesus hung on the cross, the only one with clean hands and a pure heart was then covered with our uncleanness, our impurity. He was covered in in, in all of the dirt and debris and disease and death of our sin. He became wretched for us. He wept and mourned over our sin and all as the greatest act of love. But of course, death could not hold him. And so now his perfect obedience is credited to us, a gift that we receive by faith. And so you see, humbling ourselves, boiling this passage down to the, to, to the, the primary imperative, humble. Humbling ourselves is recognizing it and admitting that we just can't get it right. We, we can't keep all of these commands in and of ourselves. But not only admitting that, it is then receiving and resting in the fact that Jesus has kept them perfectly for us. For in Him, we are filled with grace and lifted up, knowing that one day because of Him, all of our mourning and gloom in this life will be turned forever into laughter and joy. Brothers and sisters, simply put, humility is drawing near to Jesus. Humility is drawing near to Jesus. It's opening those those clenched fists of ours of self-reliance, opening them in order that we might receive with open hands God's saving, sustaining, transforming grace each and every day. For God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, oh Jesus, how we thank you. We thank you for living the life that we could not live. We thank you for dying the death that should have been ours. And we thank you for doing this in the greatest act of love that we've ever seen. And we ask now that by the power of your indwelling spirit, that you would continue to work in us, to change us, to shape us, that our lives would grow more and more in humble dependence on you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.